The Franklin Church of Christ would like to thank you for joining us as we study God's Word. Have you ever given serious thought to how you view the local congregation? The way you approach the church will affect the way you deal with others in the church and the way you bring others to the church. Join us now as Edwin Crozier presents, To What Shall I Compare This Church? As Jesus rebuked the Pharisees and those who were influenced by them in Luke chapter 7 and verse 31, He asked them a question. To what shall I compare this generation? What are they like? And then He went on to give an answer to that question. Comparisons such as this are often very beneficial to us. They provide an illustration, a point of teaching, as we strive to consider comparison between one thing and another. I'd like for us to consider a similar comparison as Jesus made here. A friend of mine once asked this question, and and I think it's a good question. I'd like to ask it of you today. Instead of asking, to what shall I compare this generation, let's ask, to what then shall I compare this church? And what is it like? You see, our concept of the church will affect our approach to it and our concept and approach to others trying to get them to approach the church. And so we ask the question, to what shall I compare this church? If somebody asks you, how would you answer this question? To what would you compare this church? I'd like for us to take a look at some of the comparisons that people make today. One of the first comparisons that folks might make is, well, I compare this church to a funeral home. It's a place of death. It's a place where nothing happens, ambition dies, and all action ceases. For the folks who feel that the church is like this, they'll come in order to pay their respects. But if they can get out of it, they will. They do not see the power of the gospel. They do not see the life that can be found in Christ. And so to them, a church is a dead place. A boring, unexciting, uneventful place. But that's not what the church should be. No doubt, those of us who have come to Christ have died to sin in Romans chapter 6 and verse 11. Romans chapter 6 and verse 11, Paul said, even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. But notice he goes on, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. We're certainly dead to sin, but we recognize we do not come into the church in order to be dead. We come into the church in order to be alive. Alive to God in Christ Jesus because the gospel which we obey is a life-giving gospel. It's a soul-saving gospel in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. Romans chapter 6, beginning verse 4, excuse me. Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection. We are alive, and as we gather together as His church, we ought to feel that life that comes from His gospel and want to share that life with others. What an exciting thing it is. What an active thing it is, and how active it ought to make us as we gather together, we who are alive in Christ. 
propagating the saving gospel in Romans chapter 1 and verse 16, Paul says in Romans 1.16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to all who believe, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's what we have. That's what we hold in our hands. That's what we're studying as we gather together here to worship God, and that is what we are taking out to the people who are around us. And isn't that exciting? There is nothing about that that is dead, or dull, or boring. It's exciting. It's life-giving. It is soul-saving, and we ought to be excited. We should not compare the church to a funeral home. But some would then say, well, it's like a gas station. This is where we go whenever we need that pick-me-up. Whenever we're on empty, we're going to go to the church to get a fill-up. And it's amazing how much mileage some Christians can get off of just one sermon. How many will not be back tonight because they'll say to themselves, I've already had enough church this week. How many will be gone for weeks on end as long as life is going well, but then suddenly they hit a snag and they want to come back and be with us in order to get a pick-me-up? This is the kind of mindset that those have that church hop around saying, well, I just wasn't getting what I needed there. It's a gas station. Drive in, fill up, drive off. There's no doubt when we look at Christ's church, when we look at gathering together with the church, that we recognize there is a sense of refreshing and rejuvenation as we are guided by the Good Shepherd, led beside the quiet waters, and He restores our soul. But we need to understand that the church is not a place to which we go in order to get our weekly feast, a pick-me-up or a fill-up. The church is a group of people with whom we meet in order to serve. Not in order to get, but in order to give. Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 and following says, Hebrews 10 and verse 23. The Hebrew writer said in Hebrews 10, 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. What's it about? It's about coming together and stimulating one another, about encouraging others. Not about us getting our fill up, but about us giving to others and filling them up. And building them up. Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, Paul described our relationship with one another, and he said in Philippians 2, verse 3, "...do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own interests, but look out for others also." Our relationship within this congregation is not about getting from others, but it's about giving. This is not a gas station for us to come get our fill up and go on our way. This is where we come to serve one another. To give to others and to help others along. And so, it's not a gas station. 
But some might say, well, it's like a discount store. And, and some folks want this from a church. They want a discounted, cheap gospel. There are so many people that want the saving gospel of Jesus Christ taught without the repenting, growing, sacrificing, obedient Christian being taught. They want the grace of God emphasized, but they want His challenges ignored. Anything that's unpleasant or disagreeable, let's just save that for later. In fact, anything that we don't really want to agree on and we don't like to talk about, we can just place that on the bargaining table of Romans 14. And there are far too many churches that are willing to take on this role. Preaching a watered-down gospel, following a social agenda, wanting to remove the distinctive features of Christ's church that we find in the New Testament. They want it to be a discount store. Brethren, there's no doubt that God's grace is free. But as someone once said, though God's grace is free, it is not cheap. We cannot earn our salvation. There is no amount of good works that we can do that merits our way into heaven. It just doesn't happen. But the thing that we need to recognize is that when God granted His grace to us and freely saved us, He did not grant us permission to continue living in the same way that got us lost. He said, we've died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Look in Romans chapter 6 again. Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Paul said in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Look over at verses 12 and verse 13. He says there in Romans 6, 12 and 13, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. That's interesting today. Folks think we're under grace so we can sin however we want to. But Paul said, you're not under law, you're under grace, so quit sinning. Don't live like that anymore. Change. The Gospel is a challenge to us to grow and to become different than we have been. And then in verse 22 and 23, he says, but now... Having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit, resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. To Christians, he says, the wages of sin is death for you as well. He freed us from that death. Why would we go back into it? And so we must preach the changing gospel of Jesus Christ. We must preach the challenge to grow as a Christian. We must preach the Word of Christ whether people like it or not. 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge, the living, and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the 
Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths. Paul says, preach the Word when it's popular and when it's not popular. You've got to reprove and rebuke as well as exhort. You do it with all patience and with all instruction, but you do it even when they're wanting to turn away from the truth. And of course, what's always very easy is for us to be able to look at everybody else and all the things of the Gospel that they don't want to hear. But what about those times when the sermon said on things we don't want to hear? You realize it's our job to preach the Gospel even when we don't like it. We just got to go to the Word of God because His church is not a discount store. The gospel is not discounted because we want it so. And so we recognize that the church is not to be a discount store, but perhaps it's, on the other hand, a courtroom. There are some who would view it in this light: that the church is a place that are filled with that's filled with lawyers and judges that are seeking for every possible infraction in order to prosecute and punish to the full extent of the law. It's a place where we draw every possible line we could draw and everybody better toe the line and if they don't agree with us, they better just hit the road. There are far too many churches that are willing to take this role as well. They will push every possible disagreement of judgment and opinion as a matter of faith and doctrine. They'll draw lines of control where God never drew lines, not only over the members there, but even trying to draw them over other congregations. And if we don't fall in line with the controlling influencers, we're just going to have to leave. No doubt. God expects us to be of the same mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. Paul said, I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. He expects us to unite around His gospel, around His teaching. And no doubt... There are times when those who want to live in rebellious sin that we have to take disciplinary measure against them and we do have to remove them from the congregation. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 4, Paul said, In the name of the Lord Jesus, when you are assembled, and I with you in spirit, with the power of our Lord Jesus, I have decided to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Verse 7, Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. Verse 9, I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with immoral people of this world, or with covetous, or swindlers, or with idolaters, for then you have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother, if he is an immoral person, or covetous, or idolater, or reviler, or drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. I know that there are times when that has to happen. But when we take these passages to mean that anybody who disagrees with me has to hit the road, and when we take these passages to mean that I now have to find every little thing about which we disagree, and you better line up with me on all of it or it's over, we're divided, we're forgetting some things about the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We're forgetting the grace in which Jesus died to forgive sinners. We're forgetting the principle of growth in which although we are here, we're not perfect. And we all have room to grow. Second Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 5. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 5, Now for this very reason also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence. In your moral excellence, knowledge. In your knowledge, self-control. In your self-control, perseverance. In your perseverance, godliness. In your godliness, brotherly kindness. In your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're supposed to be adding to. They're supposed to be increasing. We're going to be growing. Guess what that means? That means that we're wrong someplace right now. And through study and through correction, we're going to grow. We've got to take that approach. We've got to remember that Christ's church is not a courtroom. But some have the idea that Christ's church is a resort hotel. It's a place where we go just to get away from it all. It's where good people hang out with good people, and those who can't afford it don't get to come. It's a place where we go hang out with those who have no problems, they have no faults, and they have no sins. And while we look around, we see everybody wearing their Sunday clothes and their Sunday faces. And we think that they're good. And woe to us if they ever found out how bad we really are. It's a place where we go to be served and pampered. There's a staff and then there's guests. If you're elders or preacher or deacon, you're part of a staff and you do the work and the rest of us get to sit back and be served and ministered to. And it's a place for to be, to be entertained. And so worship. Instead of being a submission and devotion to the Almighty and All-Holy God, becomes a place to be entertained, to have enjoyment, relaxation, and recreation. And there are far too many churches that are willing to take this path. But understand that Christ's church is not, it is not a resort hotel. Take a look around at the people that are here. I know we're all looking our best today, and that's good. We've all got our game faces on today, don't we? So look at Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 declares it plainly. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Do you realize what that says about the person beside you? about the person in front of you and the person behind you? It says that they're just like you. They're sinners too. And they've got struggles, and they've got issues, and they've got problems with which they have to deal. You are not alone. Because this is not 
a resort hotel where those of us who are good enough to get in come and relax. It's not a place where we come to be entertained. It's not a place where we come to be served. This is not what Christ's church is. What is it then? A much better illustration would be that Christ's church is a hospital. Christ's church is a hospital. When we consider Christ's church as a hospital, we recognize that it's a place for people who have needs. We are sin sick and we are in need of a cure. Luke chapter 5 and verse 31. Luke chapter 5 and verse 31. Jesus answered and said to them, It is not those who are well who need a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And from this we have recognized that Jesus is our great physician. And every person who comes into His church recognizes their own sickness and their own need for the medicine and the cure. And when we are coming into this place with these people, we are with people who are sick just like us. Their sicknesses may be different. Maybe the sins that they've dealt with are ones we've never dealt with. We might even think they're really bad sins. But we're all just in the same place. And the folks that come in here have the same need that we've had. They need forgiveness from the physician. And they need help to grow, to recover from the effects that sickness has had over them. I remember once hearing from a brother in Christ who was working hard to save people and bring them into the Gospel and somebody asked him, where on earth is it that you're finding these people? You see, he was bringing people in who had needs. People who had issues and people who had problems. And some folks didn't want that. They wanted a resort hotel. But this is a place for folks who are sick, who have needs, who need forgiveness and need to grow. And aren't you glad that's the case? Because if it wasn't the case, you and I couldn't be here either. Further than that, it's a place of service. Those who have come in and received the healing from the great physician come in to receive that healing and that recovery, but then we don't just go back out into the world to get sick again. We stay here. Why? In order to help others heal and recover. It's a place for us to become of service to others, to help them overcome whatever diseases they've been plagued with in their spiritual lives. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12 demonstrates what our role as Christians is. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12, Paul had said that those who are elders and those who are evangelists, their job is to equip the saints. But to equip the saints for what? For the work of service. To the building up of the body of Christ. What is our job as saints? Our job is to serve. In order to build up the body. 
as others are coming in and being healed by the great physician, as we're helping them recover, that is our job to serve them and help them grow, to help them overcome the issues with which they have been plagued from the time they were in the world. The other night, hung around for just a few minutes, talking to Tom Kelly and Wesley and Patsy, and probably most of you remember who were here that Wesley had open-heart surgery several years ago. Right, Wesley? You got done, the doctor was done with you, he sewed you up, and you went back home and went back to work the next day, and everything was just fine after that, right? Wrong. Stayed in the hospital for a little while. What did you have to do? You had to recover. Things were weak for a while. That's the way it is when folks have come into Christ's church and been healed. The surgical procedure is over. The heart has been opened up and cleansed and sewn back together. But where are we? We're not perfect. We're growing. And our job is to help one another, serving one another, as we recover and grow. Thirdly, considering that, it's a place of compassion. It's not a place where we're trying to put everybody in their place. It's not a place where we're trying to demonstrate why everybody needs to be just like us and why you're not as good as I am and why I'm better than you are. It's a place of compassion. It's a place where when we're dealing with those who still have the weakness and are still recovering and we're working with them, we deal with them with gentleness. Because aren't we glad that others have dealt with us in that way? Galatians chapter 6. And verse 1, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, be kind to one another tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 8. To sum up, Peter says in 1 Peter 3, 8, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, brotherly, kind-hearted, and humble in spirit. Not returning evil for evil, excuse me, or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you are called for the very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. This is what Christ Church is all about. Compassion and gentleness, restoring those who are sick. Helping them grow. Not out of a sense of vengeance or superiority, but out of a sense of love and desire for their salvation with gentleness and humility and tenderness and brotherly kindness. That's what Christ's church is to be. And further, when we recognize all this, we recognize that it's a place with a mission. Certainly there have been some that have come in and have been healed and are recovering, but there are so many more that are still outside that have not been healed and have not recovered. And when we realize the great life and healing that Jesus has, that this message that we're studying has, 
We don't want to just sit here and keep it to ourselves and just try to enjoy all the healing ourselves. What do we want to do? We want to get out and we want to bring others in so they also can be healed, so they can be restored, so they can be forgiven, and so they can recover. It's our mission. Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, beginning at verse 13. Paul said, For whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in Him whom they have not heard? How will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news of good things. This is our mission to get this out to bring this good news of good things to those who are lost and sick and dying. And what an amazing mission that is. But notice that this mission is not for our personal benefit. Because this is our mission, we're willing to sacrifice ourselves to it. To give ourselves up to accomplish this. And so when things might happen between you and me, we don't decide just to part ways and split off and say we can't get along. We've got a higher mission than just our comfort and our desires. And so we learn to work together and to work through our issues and to be united through the love of Jesus Christ and to continue on passing on the mission. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's what we want. Why? Because we've got, an, we've got a mission that's more important than my desires. We've got a mission that's more important than my rights. We've got a mission that we're committing ourselves to, to get people healed. And that's what Christ Church is. And that's what the Franklin Church is supposed to be. And that's what we're working toward. So what would you compare this church? Our approach and our view of the church will affect what we do with the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And I hope you understand that while for sake of illustration throughout this sermon, that I have spoken of this church as a place, the same way we would speak of all those other illustrations we used. This church is not this place. This church is this group of people. We are the ones who are in need. And we are the ones who must compassionately serve one another. And we are the ones with the mission. To what would you compare this church? Thank you, Edwin, for that thought-provoking study. Let's remember what we have learned in this lesson. We must not view the local church as a funeral home, a gas station, a discount store, a courtroom, or a resort hotel. Rather, we should view the local congregation as a hospital. It is a place for people with needs. It is a place of service. It is a place of compassion. And it is a place with a mission. If you would like to learn more about this lesson, about Christ's church, or about how your sins can be forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ, please contact us at the Franklin Church of Christ by calling 615-794-2359 or you may contact us through our website, 
franklinchurchofchrist.com. Thank you, and remember to love one another this week.